Welcome to the cycle, folks. Man, I've never looked forward to a guest like I have looked forward to talking to Leave Gallon. And you guys know her as I Am Politics Girl. But I know her as an absolute shining superstar when it comes to the messaging space for Democrats and getting, you know, getting uh, on par with the Republican Party. So I'm excited to have her on. She's also a fellow messy bun aficionado. So that's really nice because, you know, I do love my, my messy bun. <laughs> Lee, welcome to the cycle. Can't wait to talk to you. Thank you for having me, Rachel. I'm so glad to be here. I think we have the same vibe and I can't wait for our conversation. Oh, man, the first time that I ever saw content from you and, and we can talk a little bit about how you recognized the power and the opportunity that lies in TikTok, right? Um, and But anyway, before that, I'll just say uh, the very first time that you, you sent a video out and, to, and it crossed my interweb space, I thought, who is this woman? This woman, this is the woman we should be making the face of democratic message. <laughs> she is such a natural talent, okay? And it is one thing to produce both the stylistic, you know, the, the very, very well-delivered oral presentation of what you're doing, but it's also the content. The content instinctually is just dead dead smack on and right up the thread of what I'm trying to work on for democratic politics. So tell me before we get into it too much, you're, you're, you're sitting around your living room. Donald Trump is the president. Okay. Shit has, I mean, it's a big fuck you to American women. Tell us a little bit, Lee, about what happened to take you from your couch or your house or your private rage to the public sphere to, to, to develop this wonderful messaging uh, show that you have? Well, thanks for asking. Honestly, here's the thing. I just started the Politics Girl Project actually before Donald Trump. I started it in 2015 as online civics on YouTube, on Politics Girl YouTube, because I was talking to so many people after the uh, second midterm elections in Obama where we lost the Senate and just about everyone I knew couldn't care less. Half the people I knew hadn't voted, and these are people that had the time to vote, they had the time to know what was going on, they had the educational background to like follow politics, no one cared. And I thought, ooh, that's not good. And they also just weren't interested. And I think half the time, it's not that people aren't interested, it's that like our lives are busy and like we don't have time and like what do we, they took civics out of school for a reason. You know, like one of the reasons we're told all the time, what are the two things we're not supposed to talk about? Politics and religion, right? And then what are the two things that cause us the most problems in the history of the world? Politics and religion. So the only people that really benefit from us not talking about it are the people who are already in power because we're not paying attention to what they're doing if we're not talking about it. So I thought, okay, let's start talking about it. And let's just start with basic knowledge. So I started doing videos on the Iowa caucus and why the Supreme Court's important and all of this kind of stuff. And it took off as kind of like an educational channel. And then we were in the primaries coming up with Donald Trump. And I was like, ooh, it's kind of tough to stay you know, centrist here. Like I've got some opinions on what's going on. And people started saying to me, you know, you do all this civic stuff. Donald Trump can't really win, right? He can't really win. And I thought, no, I, he shouldn't. I mean, if the system works properly, uh, no. Um, but then it came more and more. And I thought, oh, geez. And I started making more 
um, partisan videos. I started saying like, look, this is wrong. What's happening here is wrong. What happened at this debate is wrong. These things he's saying are wrong. Um, and those really took off with people. Those were the first time I was really going viral with political messaging. And then he became president. And then everyone, as you know, and their mother started doing political commentary. You know, that was it. That's all we talked about. What Donald Trump was doing 24-7, you know, whatever. And I thought, okay, well, I'm just a woman who lives in her house and happens to be very into this stuff. But like, what's my voice here? I'm, you know. Um, and then the pandemic hit. And then I was stuck in my house with my family, trapped at home. And I was following my husband around the house daily, ranting at him. And he was like, babe, I love you. Put this energy somewhere else. And I was like, where am I supposed to put it? And he was like, why don't you put it on TikTok? And I was like, oh, I'm going to dance. I'm going to do like the floss in front of people. And he was like, no, just do exactly what you're doing. Just not to me. And me. so I literally put I literally put the phone in my windowsill and I started talking about everything. Anything that was happening. Everything that was happening. Amy Coney Barrett. All, everything. And... I did it to TikTok, A, because my husband suggested it and I was like, why not? And B, because that's where the kids were. And I thought, listen, here's a whole group of people that are going to have to live with the results of this world we are giving them. And they better know why they should care and what's happening. And I'm going to do it in the speed that they can take it in. Everything we get can be either too much or too little. And I wanted to give just the right amount that was digestible. And you go, hmm. I'm a little pissed off about that. Oh, that's why I should care about that. And that's why I started it. And so this little YouTube channel became a big TikTok channel, which then became a bigger Twitter feed. And now I'm back on YouTube again at Politics Girl on YouTube. And I've got the podcast there and I have the rants there. And the rants are really a way to get people engaged in the political experience. That's really what I want. Because once you know, once you know something, you can't unknow it. And when you know something... That's when you start to care about something and change only happens when people care. And I love that. So, you know, I have the benefit of, ha of having been a poli-sci major in undergrad and then doing a PhD in poli-sci. So I know that nobody knows anything. And I also know what you have figured out instinctively, which is that it's not because everybody is poor and doesn't have access. It's because people don't give a flying fuck, okay? And they may have been cultured in this don't talk about politics, religion, strip the civics out of school, American so-called political culture, they may have been cultured to have that attitude, but it's still a fact that they don't know. They're not outraged about what's happening because they don't fucking know. And they don't know because they don't care enough about civics and politics because no one's ever told them that they should care and explain their personal stakes in those, number one. And number two, they, you know, there's no, there's no um, streamlined communication hub anymore because of the digital era really changed the commonality of information flow. So a, a, somebody in the 80s could be disinterested in politics, but they still had to engage in it. They see it in the newspapers, in the cafes, they hear it on the radios, they see it on the, on the same programming everybody's watching all at the same time, right? And that shared reality component, we really have no idea how that's going to impact things in the, real, in the long term, but in the short term, we know it's added to this, this uh, decline in trust in government because when you don't understand the separation of power system and you're asking Democrats to deliver big, bold policies and, and the Republican Party controls the House of Representatives and therefore decides whether or not has a full veto on any piece of legislation that Joe Biden could ever possibly push. They can, he cannot do it 
unless Kevin McCarthy approves of it, right? Yeah. And so... But it's you know, the same thing with the filibuster, right? Like people don't understand. They say, well, Democrats are in charge of everything. Why can't you just get stuff done? You're like, well, there's this thing that's called the filibuster. You know, and then people are like, what? Because what you're basically saying is we have this giant moat between getting things done and not getting things done. And it's 10 votes and it's actually not written into the constitution. And we could get rid of it if we wanted to, but we have these two senators and people just check out, right? They cannot deal with it. So it is important that we give people the information they need so they start understanding who to blame if things are not happening the way they want it to happen. Because it's very easy. People do it all the time, even with local stuff. They'll say, this is happening in my hometown and I'm furious at the president. And you're like, actually, you need to be furious at your uh, local legislator or your local congressman because people don't know. They don't know who to be mad at. So we constantly push everything to the federal level and who's in charge at the federal level. But that's actually not how it works. And so I thought that the best way to handle it was to start telling people how it worked and what issues they should be caring about. Because a lot of the times people have an innate feeling that something's wrong. So I often say, you know, I, I'm saying what people are thinking or I'm putting into words what people can't quite get their head around. And that helps people. So they go like, yeah, that's why I'm pissed off, or that's what the deal is. And I find that then that helps them talk to their friends, talk to their family. You know, you're at the dining room table and your dad says something, you know, and you go, no, dad, that's actually not, you might want to look up that stat that you're quoting. I often say to my own father, he'll say, oh, I read this and this is the way it is. And I'm like, what's the source of that? And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, you should probably know because what you just said was pretty terrifying. I mean, if that is the truth, then we should all know that. And I think the thing is, is that one side of the media has a full propaganda machine and the other side... We don't. We don't. <laughs> we so we're in trouble. perfect news system with, with and, and my book that's coming out at the end of the year really lays through the media system, how it's designed, why it works the way it does, and how the Republican Party has learned to exploit that. And that, that offset of having an echo chamber versus what we have is a huge communication disadvantage. That's why I'm so excited when I, when I see something about what you're doing. Um, as you pointed out, the focus is, hey, people don't know what's happening and therefore they can't perform democratic accountability, right? Um, it is is driving right at the heart of the problem. And it's a problem, I'll point out, by the way, that, that ignorance of civics or how the system it works, that Republicans, the entire obstruction strategy is designed to exploit, right? So in the gap of understanding shit, if you ask Democratic activists in 2015, 2016, well, why didn't Obama get gun control and immigration reform passed? If you ask Democrats that, the most common answer that you're going to give, and this is before the Manchin Cinema, you know, um, era, is that it was a matter of will, okay? Or it's will or it's corporations and they have too much influence and big money or whatever, right? And the answer is no, it's because the Republican Party had a fucking veto, okay? They had a fucking veto in the House of Representatives because when you control the House, you control the country's entire legislative agenda, so we can pass bipartisan, comprehensive immigration reform bill with $60 billion in border security in 2013 with the filibuster, 60 votes in the Senate, and then still have that shit never become law, right? So it's so, so critical because when you have misdirected rage, 
or apathy or anger or frustration. And, and, and what you're referring to is that gap we, in political science is called expectations gap. What presidents have to promise to win office. And when you think about these ideological primaries, that's an increasingly high quota, right? Like you basically have to promise rainbow farting unicorns, right? And then what the system in the best of times, and we are not living in the best of times, we're living in the worst of times in terms of our institutional grease that makes the wheels roll. In the best of times, it's hard to make policy. When you have a dishonest opponent who's willing to exploit the American electorate's you know, uh, naivety, basically, then you really have set yourself up for a recipe for disaster. And that's why when we talk about the roots of our democratic crisis, we're really looking at a crisis that starts to germinate in 2009. And you know, we wanted to use facts, reason, and going high to hold this back. And, and what we have found out is that that is, if we don't know what will work, I have ideas, but we don't know, right? But we do know what doesn't work. And we know that we cannot rationalize with the other side. We have to do a better job getting um, regular people who don't want to send their kids to school strapped in Kevlar, right? Getting them informed as, as to what, what, not just that the government sucks, they know that. We need to tell them why it fucking sucks, okay? And it sucks because there's one party that has been, you know, infiltrated by an ideological revolution, basically. And it is holding the entire country fucking hostage and really d undermining, I think, American supremacy. So it's really, really great to um, have content out there that is hitting to that. So let me, let me ask you this. In your experience of making content and, re and interacting with your audience, is there specific content that you, you find is really resonating more with them or, or what? Um, I'm focusing right now... People, I mean, people always uh, resonate with anger, right? So I try not to do it too much. So the, my ones where I'm just like furious, you know, like just put your fucking mask on, that kind of stuff. Those always have millions and millions of yes, views. Yes, yes. Um, but I try to explain things because one of the things the Democrats do, right? We, we're very verbose, right? We can't answer something in three words. We have to answer it in three sentences and then we lost everyone, right? So yep. I try to shorten it down to give you the heart of the matter, right? Because once we're in the weeds, we're losing. If we're defensive, we're losing. It's And the problem is, like you said, the Republicans have, have if you can no longer win on ideas and on personality and on your vision for the country, then you're winning by cheating, by gerrymandering, by lying, by doing all the things the Republicans are doing now. And now they've really painted themselves into a corner where they have no other choice but to continue doing that. At yes. this point, it's very hard. But it's difficult for us to mount a defense against ludicrousness, right? So I try to move away from that and just go back to what the basic facts are. And a lot of the time, people are dying for that. They're dying for someone to say, I just did one on the State of the Union. I was like, here are the basic things that we talked about. Here are the basic takeaways from this. Here is how the Republicans responded. Here is how their response would played out. And here's where I expected to go. And people are like, oh, thank you. Six minutes, like, I didn't have to watch the whole damn speech. I wasn't going to watch it anyway. You know, and I think that we have to have respect for the people of America and say, these people are freaking busy. They're totally burnt out. They're totally exhausted. But also, in many ways, I believe that as hideous uh, as Donald Trump was for the country and as horrible his presidency is just such a stain on our nation. It also was so appalling that it's kind of that moment 
that gets you into AA. You know what I mean? Where you're like, ah, we have a bit of a problem. You know what I mean? And I think had we had Hillary Clinton won as she should have, and we'd moved along, we kind of would have stayed with the same problem, just kind of rolling it down the road, not making any real changes, not really uh, adjusting to where the really where the world is. We would have continued continuing on. And I think Donald Trump was a massive wrench in the American political system, but perhaps we needed it to say, ah, we have taken democracy for granted. We have allowed these horrible people to get so much control over our courts, to get so much control over our legislative branch, to allow these billionaires to basically buy lobby groups that then buy politicians, that then write legislation to benefit the billionaires who started here at the top anyway. And most a of 40 us... 40-year, by the way, a 40-year effort from the Republican Party that we never matched until recently, or tried to match until recently, right? Exactly. Yeah. The, the, the going for the courts... Look at Roe being overturned. That is a 50-year, like, concentrated plan. That is, I mean, even though that is the opposition, that is not what I believe in, you've got to give them some credit oh, for playing yeah. the long game, right? They <laughs> Are you kidding? Yes, game. never, ever. I always tell people, never, never fail to recognize your enemy's strengths, right? Because then then they will whop your ass with them. So when, that, when your enemy is good at shit, you, even if you hate them personally and think they're disgusting, you have to... So clear-eyed those assets and and figure into them right yeah so when it comes to to long-term strategic planning it's so important for people to understand we didn't stumble ourselves here okay we did okay we stumbled ourselves here but they put us here they built the infrastructure they designed the strategies they rec- recruited this donor class they fixed the laws to make the donors more powerful with Citizens United. They did Red Map in 2009 to enhance their state power. And so, you know, it, it is refreshing that, that we're now starting to catch up. And it, it's not a minute too late, right? Because I, I always tell people, listen, it's not like, you know, they'll, they'll criticize my, my negative partisanship approach, uh, you know, as negative politics. And I, and I tell them, well, we tried, we go high for a decade. Okay, so we don't know if, if what I want to do is going to work, but we do know that didn't work. And we know that it's put us literally at the at the tip of fascism. Right? Yeah, so absolutely no at more, a tipping point. Yeah, right. No more time to be, you know, um, discreet or small minded about the changes that we're making strategically. And so we're starting to see this movement now to build and, and finance and, and complete long-term strategic plans. But th- before those things bear fruit, as the Republicans will tell you, it's going to take a long time and it doesn't help in the here and now. What does help in the here and now is when someone like you come along, Lee, and you recognize, A, it's the message, and B, it's the distribution aspect, right? So you just said before we, we ended up on that tangent about your husband recommended TikTok and, and how you did the six-minute State of the Union. And it's just so smart because I try, I'm trying to tell people who work on messaging all the time in my consulting work, yeah, yes, you could say all of that, but then they'll see and hear and read none of it, <laughs> right? So it is painful to con- to succinct something down to either one aspect to attack them on just Medicare and Social Security or just their nowhere to run national abortion ban. Like it is painful to do that. But what they recognize, and we have not yet, and we're starting to now, is that it, it doesn't matter what you run on to win the power, because if you have the power and you ran on guns or climate or Social Security, Medicare or national abortion bans, you can use it to fix all the other issues that are less 
electorally salient and sexy to win politics on. But yeah, and and I'm I'm interested what you think, because I look right now, like literally right now, if you had asked me a month ago, I wouldn't have said the same thing. But I'm curious what you think. Do things feel different to you than they have in a while? Because because I'm looking at what the Republicans have just done, right? They just won the House and they won running on things like inflation, crime, the border, right? And then the very first thing they did, they came in, they like gutted the ethics department. Now they're having a bunch of committees that are, you know, Hunter Biden, Twitter, you know, bring Donald Trump back, please, you know, things. But I I feel like post the State of the Union that we just watched, when the president literally played this howler monkey group of Republicans and took the biggest threat that we had to hold the debt ceiling hostage to Social Security and Medicare, he just took it right off the table. He was like, oh, great. We all agreed that. And I thought, (laughs) okay. It feels to me, and I don't know if, if you agree with this, and I would love your take on it, that watching these ridiculous congressional hearings and watching these really competent Democrats smoke the Republicans with yes. logic and facts, yes. you know, yeah. in and real mocking. time. Yep. I mean, obviously, the Republicans did the Democrats a huge favor by collectively losing their mind and going full extremist at the same time, like banning books, banning teachers, banning talking about sexuality and gender, banning abortion without exceptions, proposing a national abortion ban, you know, like cutting so all this stuff. They, they did us a huge favor by just going completely extremist all at once, right? Because I think they know that their time has come and gone and this oh, is their Hail do. Mary, right? This oh, yes. is their Hail Mary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their but, intent is to is to use if they can get power right now, well, they'll use it to consolidate forever power. I'll never give it back. Never I, yeah, it I totally agree. Right, exactly. But I feel like our messaging has become a little easier because the dichotomy between the two parties has never been so stark. Yes. What yes, do you think but, about that? So it's true, right? But like what we're seeing, guys, is the fruition of, and it's not just me, many people, and yourself included in that pushing different strategy and different messaging. And what we're really seeing is the as the Democrats have triangulated away from you go high, we go high, and um, traditional, what I call status quo, com- campaign and electioneering communications, we are really starting to see the fruits of that. And, and the State of the Union was probably the best example I could think of. Yeah. Uh, I, I, Joe Biden... Five years ago in that position would have given a totally different speech. He certainly wouldn't have come out too before the midterms and legitimized our arguments that they're a threat to democracy because that was such a boss move from him. And that's why I tell people Joe Biden might be old, okay, but he isn't too old to whoop the GOP's ass. And he also provides to us an incredible benefit that I would be remiss if I didn't tell your your audience about, which is the incumbency advantage, okay? Republicans have done really important and, and, and intensive branding work against Joe Biden to define him as old and feeble, okay? And that, because Republicans only engage in their ecosystem, but we engage in theirs and a big, broad, um, heterogeneous, you know, ecosystem, we get exposed to their shit. They don't really get exposed to our shit. And you will find when you talk to Democrats that they have internalized, like they did with Hillary Clinton, certain things about Joe Biden. And when you check public polling, it's not Donald Trump that the public said was senile and dementia Okay, It's Joe Biden, Okay, because they talk, 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 and the chatter 
to, to make that brand stick, okay? And so what, what Joe Biden brings to the table is the incumbency advantage. And that's why they are so keen to under, to, you know, to try to undermine his reelection. And, I, and it, I think we can call that a failure. He certainly hasn't announced it. I don't have insider knowledge as to when that, you know, when and if that's going to come. But I think the suggestion is, especially with finish the job, you know, at the State of the Union being a major theme, that, that he intends to run for a reelection. And every Democrat should be rooting for that to happen. And let me tell you why. Because if he didn't run, we would have to have a Democratic primary. If Nightmare. we have a Democratic primary, we have to share the news cycle with their primary. And what we really want more than any fucking thing is we're trying to soften 24, soften the lift, lower the lift, right? So what we want is, is 2023 and 2024 headlines, news cycles focused on them. The MAGA House majority, the nut job Republican primary where they're trying to outdo each other on barbarianism, right? So like we that we want that on full fucking display. And so although it is nice to want change, and I get that, and generational change especially, I get them sensitive to it. We're we're on the point of fascism. If they win power, especially the federal government, they're going to use it to consolidate forever power. So this one election is literally the most important, 22 and 24 together, the most important two elections we've ever had. And and the, the probability of winning it is increased, not decreased, by renominating our incumbent president, whoever the fuck he may be. So... <laughs> Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I, I think it's an absolute waste of time, a waste of money, a waste of news hours oh, yeah. to fight each other when we could be fighting the messaging and the behavior of the Republican Party. You know, like it, we should be fighting them on issues of fascism, on book burning, on women's yes. rights, on all these things. Joe Biden is doing a great job. And whether he runs again and is, you know, is steps down at some point or whatever he does, we shouldn't be running a primary. We should be running an incumbent. I couldn't agree with you more. And he's very popular. I just find that the media is doing such a bang up job. And even what you would call liberal media saying, oh, Democrats want to get rid of Biden. They want to replace Biden. I mean, just before I came on with you, the Atlantic had a pop up on my screen that was like, most Democrats want a new candidate. And I was like, no, we don't. You know what I mean? Like, why do you keep pushing this? Because no shit. Real Democrats know that this would be an absolute colossal waste of our time, a waste of our money, and a hundred million dollars. It would probably suck up a hundred fucking million dollars that we can deploy against them. Yes, yes. And and when we think about Romney, remember Romney? How he got his ass beat by Obama? The reason why is that Romney was tied up with Mike Huckabee to finalize the primary. And he could not pivot to the general. And the Obama team was so right in this. And we just, I keep pushing Democrats on this early branding work. They fucking assailed his ass all through the spring, the end of the Republican primary cycle on, you know, framing him as a a millionaire, out of touch, rich guy that, you know, doesn't get you, right? He puts his dog on his car. (laughs) Yeah. And it, was, and, it, and it made the lift in the fall so much easier, especially because the 47% comment came out in the summer and just reaffirmed the entire frame, right? So, um, yeah, it, it's good to have an opportunity to chat with you. Um, I hope the audiences, both audiences, have picked up a lot for it. And I think the most important thing is for people to be talking about how important it is for us not to give up our big strategic asset, get behind Joe Biden, 
we want him to run. It will be a huge advantage for us, and, and the stakes could not be higher. Yeah, we should push age as wisdom, not that's as That's right. I that's mean, exactly that's what it right. is. And I think that he really did us a massive favor by being so sharp and so fast at the State of the Union. Because yeah, he really had that whole group. Like, you might say he's old, but man, that guy is sharp. No doubt. I mean, it certainly does dispel this idea that he's too old to take on a Republican opponent. In fact, after what I saw at the State of the Union, I am slobbering, foaming at the mouth, waiting for these DeSantis-Biden uh, um, you know, interactions. Because I, I think Joe Biden's going to eat San- DeSantis up. Oh, that would be wonderful, Rachel. I'd love to see that. <laughs> A little it's bit so, less DeSantis for all of us to have to pallet. No doubt, dude. No doubt. And yeah, you can't possibly insult Ron DeSantis often enough for my taste right now. The more that we insult and brand him now, the less we'll have to do in the fall of 2024. Lee, it's been such a pleasure. I knew it would be really hard to, uh, to keep myself limited to a half an hour. But I do know the audience likes short content. 30-second ads, 5-second ads, 10-second ads. And you got to give the audience what they want, Rachel. You got to give it to I, them. And what they want is more I Am Politics Girl, which, you know, is just incredible. I can't wait to see where your career is going to go. I think the future is very bright. And uh, I want to see your ability to communicate to regular people about civics and why it's important to them, um, you know, really just expand and expand. So check out her podcast, too. It's called Politics Girl Pod. You can probably get that on all the major podcasting um um, you know, things. Are you are you doing any um, anything else you want to pitch here on the show? No, I want people to go to Politics Girl on YouTube because that's really where I want to bring home people. Oh, There's, okay. I'm all over the place now. You know, like I'm on every social media network, and I was like, you know what? Just come to just come to the YouTube channel. That's where the podcast is. That's where the rants are, and it just really gives you a real sense of what's going on in the world, what the things are to be thinking about, and then if you want a little bit of a deeper dive, listen to the podcast because it's it's basically the rants in a longer format, often with guests who are just way more brilliant than I am. (laughs) I can't wait. I'm going to embed that link for you guys here in the pod, and uh, that will take you right to her hub and and all the great content. You can use it to teach yourself how to go have these conversations. That's why I really like it. Uh, It is, uh, I talk about theoretically and, you know, lay out some message examples, but what Lee's doing is bringing it to life, right? You can see yourself doing her conversations with your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. It will take a village to beat back fascism in 2024. And Lee, I am happy to have you in the village with me. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks.